Welcome to Continuing the Conversation. I'm Carl Amuzu. And I'm Glenn Collins. Continuing the Conversation is one of the ways that we are trying as a community to create space for an expanded dialogue and interactions based on the conversations we're having at Fos Church. And over the past few weeks, we have been in a conversation about APES, largely pulling from a book called Church's Movement, where we get to discuss apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, and teachers. And these five types make up what is commonly called the fivefold gifts taken out of Ephesians chapter 4. Far too often we try to sum up leadership in the church under the catch-all title, Pastor. But what if God has a bigger picture for equipping the church? What could local expressions of the body of Christ look like organized around the gifts God has given us? This is the question that we've been seeking to engage throughout this series. And as we lean into this week, we're going to be entering into a conversation around the evangelist. Now, the evangelists are the storytellers in the communities, the bearers of good news, the ones that invite and excite us as we live out the story of Jesus together. This past Sunday, Glenn opened up the conversation by exploring how evangelists are the ones that expand the story in order to invite more people to find their place in it. Glenn, can you give us a quick rundown and definition of evangelists? If we're pulling the basic definition out of the book that we're following along in, evangelists invite and excite. They have a knack when it comes to inviting people to live in the kingdom of God. They're able to excite the people of God to be witnesses. We could call evangelists the storytellers because they share God's story in such a way that everybody realizes they're a part of it, either as villains or heroes. They help people want to be heroes and heroines. Evangelists help the church to proclaim the good news by being witnesses and redemptive agents. They cultivate a welcoming environment, helping the community practice hospitality as a way of life. However, this enthusiasm, this excitement, in its immaturity, can have a word of caution for us. So if we look at the way they describe the immature evangelist, it will say evangelists in the early stages of development can be so enthusiastic that they're unwise, unstable, and consciously or unconsciously manipulative, sometimes seeking to capitalize on emotions. They have tendencies to exaggerate and engage in selective hearing and selective sharing. With a passion to get the good news out, evangelists tend to justify the means to reach a particular ends, not understanding that the means used lead to particular ends. They can to be, um, they tend to be poor listeners because they are consumed with that, what they are passionate about. Because they are verbal and outgoing, they can sometimes be irresponsible with words, oversharing information about other people, often avoid conflict or avoiding conflict because they want to be liked by them. They can be easily discouraged when things are difficult and no longer exciting. If they are undisciplined, they can steal the attention away from others to steer it towards themselves. All right. And just a, a reminder that both of those definitions, like the mature and the immature, come from uh, V3, <clears throat> which is like J.R. Woodward and Dan White Jr. and their book, Church's Movement. And so, like, if those sound interesting to you, one, I recommend reading the book. It's good anyways. Um, but also, just uh, if you want more information about those things, you can find that in uh, Church's Movement book. But also, there's another book called uh, Creating Missional Culture by J.R. Woodward that has some great definitions as well. 
So with that, uh, we're going to just jump into the formation of learning time, which is each week we enter into a conversation as a community through three sets of questions around the idea of head, heart, and hands. And so, uh, Glenn, why don't you just give us the definitions of those? Um, head, heart, and hands are just three areas of question. So your head deals with a framework question, something that would be conceptual. So how do we understand the church as a con- can be a conceptual question? The heart brings us from conceptual into a reflective process. How do I then engage the story? And we move into the hands. That's where we ask the questions of practical steps. If conceptually we can reframe and within the heart we can reflect, then it gives us the ability to respond as we intentionally move into an active way of engaging this in our life. So with that, we'll step into the first head question, which says, what benefits or drawbacks could come from activating evangelists within FOS? Hmm. Yeah, for me, I think like the, the biggest benefit that comes from activating evangelists in FOS is that there's always that move towards inclusivity. Like we always want to create space for more people um, and the narrative that we tell is always about that invitation. So I think that would be the biggest benefit that comes from activating evangelists. Well, I would, I would qualify that a little bit though, because yes, it tends towards inclusivity. If you have a mature evangelist, a mature storyteller is like in, and at times in the activating process, you don't usually activate the matured, you activate the maturing, which gives us a, a notion of one of the drawbacks is there's, there can be a polarizing effect for those people who are super passionate um, they, they step in with all good intentions, but it's the person you can't escape in the room because no notion of social etiquette or space. They know you need to know this information now um, may create an othering black and white kind of moment. Whereas like Carl's very right, the benefit is as they mature and um, understand a better way of storytelling, it becomes inclusive, inviting, and it finds value in the people they talk to. Yeah. Okay. Um, yeah, and I would say like like just kind of pulling on the on the drawback side of that. Um, like I think going from the immature side of it, uh, where like evangelists often fail to listen because they're so passionate about the things that they're passionate about. Um, if they're passionate about things that aren't helpful to the community, it's impossible <laughs> to get them to shut up about it, right? Like like I can think of like numerous instances where you had that person talking about that thing that really we shouldn't talk about because it's not helpful. And it's like, no matter how much you try to draw them away from it, it's like a dog with a bone. They, they just got it and they're going to keep telling you about it because they think that you're going to love it the way that they love it. And that's a drawback. <laughs> that's not helpful. So, yeah. So, uh, um, uh, so as conceptually, when we think about what it is to release the evangelist, um, we want to just broaden our perspective that the evangelist isn't just about forced conversions, handing out tracts or trapping people in public transit, which happened to me a few times for reading the wrong book. So they assumed I wasn't a part of the church. Um, it's, it's those, it's actually responding to the people and you have to know the people in front of you. So when we think of evangelists and, and how to activate it, you want to look for those people who can't help but get excited. And when they get excited about something, they have to share it. Mm-hmm. Then the movement in activating them is going to be moving towards how do you direct that energy in storytelling? 
Yeah, I think like from the message, from your message, yeah. when you brought up the word Hasid, when you were talking about Ruth, uh, I think that was like a great point to actually bring up about evangelists. Because like if you can direct them towards the Hasid, like if you can say like, the what, what is Hasid? Yeah, but um, uh, in case people haven't been to seminary and don't know Hebrew. Well, they should listen to the podcast that we just put out. <laughs> <laughs> um no, but the, the Hasid is the idea of uh, faithfulness, like just in, just to sum it up. Yeah. Right. So like what does faithfulness to the community look like? Faithfulness to God, faithfulness to one another, faithfulness. Mm. And so if you can point them in a direction where the, the evangelist becomes like the passionate champion storyteller of Hasid, of faithfulness to the community, to each other, to like to the broadening and expanding what it looks like to be inclusive um, I think they're going to be just a huge benefit for the community. But again, if they're pointed to the wrong thing, then it, it just, it's like, you got like, like to be able to rein that in becomes problematic because you don't, you know, the reality is, is like with, with anybody, you shut somebody down for something that they're passionate about or not even trying to shut it down like in a, like in a controlling mannerism. But if you even try to, to, to say that maybe this isn't the most helpful thing, if someone's passionate about it, 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 it can lead to like people feeling hurt. And, and, and in that sense, I would say, I've met my fair share of herd evangelists. Fair enough. Um, so as we move towards the reflective part, uh, the heart question is, do you see yourself in the gift of the evangelist? If yes, in what ways and what about the gift resonated with you? If no, do you know someone who fits the description either mature or immature. Yeah. Well, let's start with you. How, like, do you see yourself, how do you see yourself, man, in, in the mix of that question? Um, in a general sense, I wouldn't see myself as the evangelist, unless, and with one caveat, you mean, did I just find a new scholar I'm fanboying? Because then I fully embody that everyone should now appreciate, love, and buy all the books of the new scholar I just found who would save your life if you just gave him the 2,500 pages he needs to fully impact you. Um, and there I would tend to be an immature evangelist because I forget that your lack of concern or care for ancient studies may inhibit your ability to appreciate the beauty that's in front of you. Yeah, and, but nonetheless, I think John Golden Gay, Walter Brueggemann, John Caputo, N.T. Wright, uh, Richard Hayes. Dorothy Daly, can't throw some of the women in there. Carolyn Sharp, if you're going with Old Testament in the irony in reading. But nevertheless. Um, I was going to say, I'm pretty sure they all thank you for being an evangelist for them, bro. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I would say that even though I don't resonate the most with it, um, there are people in my life who I'd say fit the description very well. And what I've noticed in them is generally they are a little more people focused. Like what excites them is the event, but it's usually sharing the event. And when they're sharing the event, they come alive because it, it is always about expanding that story. The only difference I've seen in the immature and the mature when I get to recognize it is the mature person invites you to be a part of the story they're expanding the immature person doesn't care if you want to be a part of it. So kind of like the uh, comment we made about me with the books. Like, I wish I could say I was self-reflective enough to see your eyes glaze over 
is um, I was just explaining to a friend of mine yesterday that one of the books of the Bible is theorized to have been developed over four stages. I got to the third stage before I realized he didn't care about the story I was trying to include him in. It's an immature act. And so that would be when, when I get to see it and recognize it. That mature person responds well to the person in front of them that when he sees them light up over the inclusion, they get more excited to where when they see the person not finding space in that story, they change directions and find out the story of the person they're talking to because it's about the person first rather than forcing them to come in line with what they're excited about. Mm, That's a good point. Yeah, like, um, well, for for myself, this this is a hard question because, like, I feel like on the, when it comes to like the secondary gift idea, um, like 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 there's things that feel like they're just close group together. You know what I mean? And I feel like evangelists like I can relate to it. Um, and there's things about it that resonate with me, but I feel it, it feels more like a light switch that I can turn on or off. You know what I mean? It's like depending on the time, um, it's like okay, cool, I got to sell something now. So boom, like the light switch turns on, or that that's not super helpful right now so it turns off like it feels it's less like it's it's natural to who i am and more something that i'm like i can grab a hold of it if i need it but it's not necessarily the way that i function per se at least that like that, that's how I, i've kind of come to understand myself with within that right now you know at, at this time um but it looks like you're trying like you have a different opinion than that well carl doesn't yeah. see himself as the evangelist because he tends to think that he's not selling he's just giving you the truth of the event. I'm giving you sage wisdom. Yes, that's how he would describe it. No, that's how it is. <laughs> exactly. So he doesn't always notice that he passionately tries to include, and it's because he gets excited about. Like the reason I'm around the table right now with him as as we're talking about what it could it look like to have this kind of community present in Clayton Heights is because he get, got excited about trying to build a church in this area. Um, for me, I was fine with reading on the historical movements in the 21st century for church movements because that's traceable, it's knowable, it's in a book. Um, but he was excited about how do we enter into that story now? And so I'm a part of it now because of his excitement to include somebody in the story. I think that's a good point that you bring up right there because I would actually see that as an extension of the the type um, apostle, mm-hmm. right? Because it's the idea of dream awakening, the idea of... Um, looking towards the future and saying, hey, we can go there and inviting people to join you on that journey. And I would say that my um I could see that, homie, excitement but you've never been that. around you when you just discovered a new hamburger joint or a new food experience or a new something fusion. And you're like, Glenn, did you know there is fill-in-the-blank food that we have to go experience now. It'll change your life. It'll let you see heaven. The skies will part. The sun will shine. And all that is good in life will be true. Yeah, and that sounds very much like an apostle. (laughs) (laughs) So often, whether you realize or not, that that notion of selling, um, because at times, and this actually happens with how we understand ourselves, is we'll put connotations to something. I can say, knowing Carl for years, the connotation he puts to evangelists often has a negative one. Well, not, not, this, not necessarily that, but I would say it also, it's, it's not that it's just negative, but it also has to do with the idea, I don't necessarily see myself as like a gatherer of people per se. 
right? Like I can I can invite people on a journey to like, hey, mm-hmm. let's go build this thing. This is awesome. Let's go to yeah. this restaurant. But like if you if you're looking to me to draw a crowd. And I, and I see evangelists as kind of like the like the invitational crowd gathering type folks. So that's also another reason why mm. I don't necessarily find myself resonating there completely. Mm. But I'd say like this this last Sunday because um, we do meet weekly as we're trying to build this community. We're discussing and trying to enter into conversation about. Uh, you'd mentioned that in staging the notions. Um, that you're still the evangelist if you like to throw the small house party to be able to invite people into shared stories as much as if you're one that would need a stadium to fill the amount of people you'd want around. But it's that act of inviting and including that frame the evangelist, not so much whether it's three people or 3,000. Oh, for sure. Definitely. And that's why I, I think like with all the gifts, like we actually, all of us, I think, have the tendency to function in all of them. Mm-hmm. Right. But it's like we're going to see our primary and secondary is kind of like, all right, it's, it's, it's obvious. This is how you function. And for me, where the, the, the question has become confusing is that like my third one is probably a little bit bigger than than the average third one. So it feels like it could be a secondary one. And that's where it becomes like, oh, how do I place this all in, in, in the right order? And of course, because, you know, you have like those. And I don't mean any disrespect to people with actual OCD, but you have those OCD tendencies um, to actually put things in the right categories. And that's where I find myself being like, okay, which one is it? I got I to mm. do this properly. And so, gotcha. you know, it's, it's one of those things where, yes, I, I would agree. Like there's definitely some of the evangelist type definitely that, that shows through and I resonate with that. Mm-hmm. But I also would say that like because of the way that I see it, um, it feels like a smaller, a smaller part, right? It feels more like a, a phase gift than a base gift. And what he means when he says phase gift is the way talked about in church's movement is you have some primary gifts you operate in, but there'll be phases in life that are more transition points that you pull from one of the the other part of the five. So if primarily you're a teacher or primarily, um, as Carl would understand himself, as like apostle, you'll have moments that you have to enter into some of the other giftings in order to make a functional um, community work. Definitely. Yeah. So that being said, now we've went from some of the cognitive structure to reflective to the hands question where we can ask what practices could allow us to equip, empower and facilitate the evangelist in our community? And I think like this past Sunday, I thought like the the storytellers, um, the story time, storytellers collective, Mm -hmm. whatever you want to call it, I thought was actually a really cool experiment in empowering evangelists. Because like you can see the people in the room who like that's just not their thing, and mm-hmm. they weren't going to get up no matter how much you offered them to, to tell <laughs> you a story. But then there was those in the room who may not see themselves as evangelists, but I guarantee like everyone that that, that that got up and told a story, like there was a natural bent to the way they wanted to tell their story. Their story was here is is this, but this is how it grew. This is how it was included. This is how somebody maybe felt. Uh, maybe put off or whatever, but their stories tended to kind of focus around this notion of bringing people in, actually. And I thought it was a really cool trend, at least in the in the, sto- the way people told the stories. They kind of highlighted that, like, even just creating those moments of storytelling allow the, the, the evangelist as storyteller to kind of find their footing in a, mm. in a safe environment. Because reality is, is that um, you definitely saw some immaturity in the way the stories were told sometimes, but it created space for it to happen, and that was really, really cool to see. Yeah. I'd say um, we don't want to get 
restrained by the notion of storytellers being someone who just talks. Since that's not always the best way to be invited into a story. Sometimes it's action and shared space. We had one gentleman who would self-identify as being more towards the evangelist that said, um, what is empowering to him is to be given the freedom within the community just to throw a good party. Because for him, that shared space and that shared experience was inviting people into the bigger story of each other. And so we don't want to, um, when we're thinking of how do we release, equip, empower, and facilitate, we don't want to just think how do we give space for other people to talk all the time. Because some people like to expand the story, love to extend hospitality. But if you put a microphone in front of them, they're like, why do you hate me? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's, a, that's a great point. Like I think very con- like I think connected within the idea mm-hmm. of hosp- of hospitality or or the evangelist. I mean, sorry, connected in the idea of evangelists are those who offer hospitality, mm-hmm. right? Like, and those aren't necessarily going to be the people who are going to step up and, and necessarily share a story, but they share they share the story or invite you into the story through acts of of love and hospitality and generosity and other ways yeah. that continue to expand and push boundaries. Well, they they understand the story is. A framework for society and community. You're being invited into the story because you're invited into their life. Um, some people like to invite you into the story by saying, let me explain to you how it's more expansive than you ever thought. You have a place here. Others don't push as strong, but they say, I want to invite you into the story because I actually just created space at my table for you to experience the community. I created space over here. Um, as my wife tends to like to do, is through baked goods or throwing a party to where she's able to um, celebrate somebody. And the act of celebrating that person invites them into a wider story and everyone there becomes a part of something. So I'd say a way that we can equip, empower, and to facilitate would be, one, the act of facilitating would be keeping a wider notion of story and storyteller so that evangelism doesn't become shrunk down to um, a single conversion moment. It becomes an integration of life. Mm-hmm. No doubt, definitely. Um, and I think like just going to the notion of that inclusion into life and like help in, empowering people to throw good parties, um, I think is, is, is part of that. And I think a, a really cool tool that, that we probably need to like, like actually get on board with is the Vancouver Foundation small grants program for like to throw parties and community activities and things like that. And I think like even being able to tap into a resource where you can say up to 500 bucks to throw a party mm-hmm. um, is probably a great way to empower and, and release like, you know, evangelists in our, in our mists. And that actually shows another form of equipping. Sometimes when we say equip, we only think what's in my limited toolbox or how deep is um, my pocket or savings account. When there's resources around us to join in to the wider community. So in in this grant, we're actually recognizing our place within the local community and getting to honor something that's uh, really cool about our area in Surrey, that the greater Vancouver area has a grant because they said we need to know each other. Actually, you, you hear something from the local government saying we need evangelists in the community that can tell a bigger story that we all belong. And we'll even throw money behind it. So if if we pay attention to the wider social needs, sometimes we get to equip by seeing the resources that groups have around us. Yeah, state-sponsored evangelism, awesome. 
And by that, I do want to be very clear. Um, that grant is not allowed to be used for tracks or other religious materials being produced. It's for the block party to where you like people. Absolutely. Yes, that, that is absolutely 100% needed to be stated. Yeah, because um, honestly, in the back of my head, whenever we talk about these things, I don't know what your experiences are. But when I was putting myself through undergrad, I worked at Starbucks. And if you have a very shrunk notion for what it is to facilitate the people who like to evangelize, you have the crew. And I knew each of the people because they were at our Starbucks every week. Individually, they're very kind-hearted, but since they only had a narrow notion of what it is to invite to the story, they trapped you by the bathroom because we only had two bathrooms and narrow hallway, and they would stand by the line to the bathroom and try to hand tracks to everyone and do conversion moments in that moment while the people are doing potty dances. And part of the immature evangelist is not noticing the other person's story the other person's story in that moment was, I'm trapped because I have to use the bathroom and you won't leave me. Um, it's like, it's, it's those moments. So in my head, whenever I hear this, I have a little bit of a knee-jerk reaction like, ah! But when I get past that to say, what is it to empower community storytellers? Mm -hmm. Then I can start asking the bigger question of how do I get your story to be a part of this in such a way that the inclusion of your story invites more people in? Because you may not resonate with my story. Maybe you weren't raised in the church or maybe evangelism wasn't a big thing where your tradition was around. And so it, it means nothing to you. You have no baggage to it. And for that, good on you. Um, for myself, it carries some weight. But if, if I can get past that and be able to learn from you, that empowers. Because part of the empowering the evangelist is being able to create room for them to tell their story. Mm -hmm. well, definitely, definitely, and I think in the mix of of the evangelist creating space to, to for the, the creating space for sorry for the evangelist to be able to tell their story um, as a community, like to equip and empower them and to facilitate them is actually to help them be able to focus in on what we talked about, like the Hasid moment before, mm -hmm. or to actually use the word like where evangelist comes from, it, like to help them be good news people, right? Like um, versus. Like if it's like it's one of those things. Like if it doesn't feel like good news to the person you're talking to, it's probably not good news, right? Like, <laughs> oh no, that's that's a good point. Um, uh, Carl, uh, once in a while, has these quips that are quotable. Uh, like a year back, to where he said, "If your if your good news strips the hope of the other person, then you're holding it wrong." And I would say that's part of the equipping process is to facilitate, to be able to give them access to an avenue, to empower them is to give them space and ability to step into that role. But to equip them is simultaneously to create means for them to, to share story, whether that's a party, whether that's just giving away for them to speak, however they share story. But equipping also comes with the restraint because like we've said before, to activate usually is not to just release the mature person. When you activate, when you notice something in somebody, it's usually the seedlings, it's that first response, it's that catalytic moment that you see, wait, I see something of value here. So you'll have to help guide because that's part of the equipping process. None of mm -hmm. us got to develop, none of us got to maturity or any place that you have in life 
without other people walking alongside you and saying that might not be the best look. Mm-hmm. The way you're presenting good news is not being experienced as good news. Definitely. And I, I think like that's that's the importance where a community becomes the trellis for actually all these gifts, but like when we like for the for the evangelists and things like that. So that like the actual thing that the the, the, the seed, the the beautiful part of what they're trying to do isn't getting stepped on by the things that aren't helpful in those moments, right? And so the community walks alongside of our, each each of us in our in our gift type and says, Okay, let's how do we help you? How do we uphold you? And so yeah. Yeah. So do you have any last thoughts? Um, not so much. (laughs) (laughs) Um, How about you? Yeah, just one, as as we talk about each of these gifts, I I really do want to lean into that to activate is not to abandon. It's not to recognize and walk away. That what we're committing to in fivefold ministry is not just a lack of strict hierarchy to where you have the, the one person who can hear God for all people, but... We're actually talking about what is it to do development of each other. So to activate is to walk alongside. To activate is to create the space for the immaturity to be there because we all have to go through stages of immaturity while we draw them towards maturing. So we're committing to each other to develop in community for the hope and beauty of community. So like the passage said in Ephesians that we're pulling from, that all, is, all the ligaments hold us together as each of the fivefold steps into it, we grow toward loving. And the loving it's referencing is like the love within the community. Yeah. Well, that's good. That's a great point, man. As we close today's conversation, I want to let you know that we are building a community that is reduced to love and actively reimagining our faith together. And if you would like to be a part of the conversation in person, if you'd like to help see this community we're talking about actually become a full and vibrant part of the Clayton Heights area, we invite you to join us Sunday evenings at 5 p.m. in Clayton Heights. For the address, follow the link to Fos Church in the bio. Fos.church. My apologies. Fos.church in the bio. It's still in the bio, though. Or the podcast notes, but same difference. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Hey, but thank you for joining us. Thank you for being part of the conversation with us. And uh, we just look forward to connecting more with you.